Modern Americans spend a lot of time pretending to be traumatized. Are you black, gay, a woman, Jewish? Then you're invited to emote about your legacy of trauma. Funny thing though, you haven't been a slave, you haven't been jailed for having sex, denied the right to vote, or put into a camp. So why are you pretending it's just as bad as it ever was? Then we'll look at the normalization of nudging. Use this bag, not this one. You want paperless statements, right? Nudging is just a euphemism for PSYOPs, big mommy style. All that this week on Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. The first thing I want to jump into are some comments on our YouTube channel from last week's show. Uh, I talked about, and I gave some examples of bad behavior by women that they seem to get a social pass for, and this, um, this interested a few of you. So this one comes from Kali, and he says, I was sexually harassed by a drunk woman at a party last week. She knows I'm gay, but that only encouraged her. She said she was turned on by the fact that I didn't want her. After repeatedly asking her to stop, I eventually had to leave. I couldn't get physical with her because she's a woman. If it had been a guy groping me and shoving his crotch in my face, I would have pushed him away or smacked him. Everyone at the party thought it wasn't a big deal. A week later, and I'm surprised to find that I'm still angry. She has apologized, but I thought it was glib, and I can't move on yet. It feels like she just gets away with this behavior because she's a woman. That is why she gets away with that behavior. Absolutely. Uh, and it is everybody around you acting like it's no big deal that allows her to get away with it. I want to draw everybody's attention to something here, too. She said she was turned on by the fact that I didn't want her. That's a predator. That's a predator's pleasure response, going after their prey. That tells you something about her character. I don't even need to tell you what I think about this woman's character because you're all thinking it too. Yeah, that's what I think is wrong with her. This one comes from Mark. <clears throat> and now I'll just read it to you. Mark says, if you are raised by a cluster B mother, you become very attuned to the passive-aggressive faux-victim act. You see how the shield of womanhood is used to avoid detection of malignant behavior and any responsibility. Mm-hmm. This hypervigilance is in some ways a curse, but it can also be a superpower in service of cold, hard, bare-bones truth. Sometimes people need a gentle but firm tap on the nose with a rolled-up newspaper. They had no shame. He was talking about the women in the elevator who were trying to push the black man out, probably because he didn't have a mask. I agree. Well, <laughs> there's entitled women, and then there are entitled Canadian liberal women. Let's see what they had to say about the truckers' convoy this week. We were coming from different places and we met in front of our building and then the, this guy with this huge truck came and tooting, you know, and I said, this is awful, awful. Let's go and stop him. This huge it's truck awful. and a bunch of little, littler trucks came up our little street here, honking away and we just decided we'd had enough and we thought we'd make a statement and we're up high in their cab of the truck right looking down on us we couldn't hear anything they had to say and they could they didn't want to hear us I, so I wanted to communicate to them that we just did not support what they're doing so I just did a thumbs down every time he honked his horn I did a thumbs down and so there were a lot of thumbs down it wasn't an easy thing to do but it was an impromptu thing and we've had enough we're we're, we're we've had enough this is this is an occupation. This isn't yes. this isn't a protest. 
All of us are a certain age. We've been fighting a long time for women's rights. We're kind of used to it. But that was scary. I mean, you know, that's a huge truck. They're bullies. It's not easy to stand up to a bully, and you very rarely win anything. But I figured that they wouldn't come out and assault three women of our age, because that wouldn't look good on camera, that's for sure. I am really disappointed in the Ottawa police. There is nobody enforcing the law downtown. There is nobody. They don't have a permit to protest. Nobody knows when they're going. They, like, they're vandalizing stuff. They're intimidating people in local businesses. Like, we've had enough. <gasps> They've had enough. It was a huge truck. They didn't want to hear us. This isn't a protest. It's an occupation. And of course, did you? Well, I mean, I don't know what their names are. To me, they're Karen's one, two, and three. Karen one said, we're of a certain age. Yeah. And we've been fighting for women's rights. You just knew that shit was going to come in here, didn't you? And they're so upset that the police aren't doing anything. <laughs> they like to speak to the manager of Ottawa, please. <laughs> It was a lot of thumbs down. A lot of thumbs down. Sorry. <laughs> um, now it's time for male Karen. There's a lot of them. Um, let's listen to this TikTok guy. Everything I say about gender is influenced by my whiteness, which is obvious, but there's an interesting second part to this. The rejections of gender and gender roles that I create in a body will still come from my whiteness, those acceptable to my constructions of self as a white person. I will likely uphold and encourage white beauty standards and see and more immediately accept other white rejections of gender. Essentially, even the most critical analysis of gender I have will still be white, and white gender rejection can and does uphold whiteness and white supremacy. Queer appropriation of African-American vernacular English is one example of this, as is mainstream exclusion of fashion excellence in black representations of masculinity, while <laughs> celebrating white men for having basic hygiene, as if they're revolutionaries. Of course, that's not to say we can't attempt to take in other viewpoints, but it's still going to be a fundamentally white perspective. Even this as a white perspective, it's literally the only one I can give you. So if you want to learn how other people construct and deconstruct gender, you need to learn it from someone who doesn't look like me. Well, then why the fuck are you talking to us? Why are you on video if we can't learn anything from you? Don't talk to me about white or black beauty standards. How about you settle on a beauty standard at all? Because you look like Waldo in drag. You got a do-rag on your head. You got problem glasses on. And that... <laughs> we praise... We praise white men for having basic hygiene. Really? Oh my God. <clears throat> All right. So I have one thing that I'm not gonna make fun of because it's actually very, very good. And I, I'd like you to hear it. This is an example of the kind of plain talk and common sense that I think any person of goodwill ought to be able to recognize and ought to be able to say when it comes to the issue of men in women's sports or as it is called by our media and society, transgender affirmation and transgender rights. This is a clip of transsexual, his own words, transsexual Corinna Cohn testifying in front of a state legislature about a bill that would protect women's sports from men who want to get into it. Um, and. Uh, Corinna, I don't know if you're watching or not. I know Corinna a little bit because Corinna is friends with Nina Paley and I'm friends with Nina Paley. I've had a couple of conversations. I'd really like to get Corinna on the show. So if you're watching Corinna, I'm going to reach out and look for you. Um, I found this inspiring. Let's take a listen to uh, what Corinna had to say. Honorable representatives and committee members, my name is Corinna Cohn. I'm a resident of Indianapolis and a constituent within House District 98, represented by Robin Shackelford. I am an independent and I have voted for principled members of each party. I'm here to speak in support of HB 1041, which aims to strengthen the rights for girls and young women competing in sport. My testimony today is based on my personal opinion as a transsexual. That is a person who was born male and used pharmaceuticals and plastic surgery 
to feminize my body so that I appear to be a woman. Despite having these procedures, my sex is male, and neither science nor medicine can change that. I began this process as a teenager, and although my testosterone levels have been in the female range for nearly 30 years, male puberty has endowed me with physical advantages such as height, bone structure, and increased lung capacity. For example, I stand at 5 foot 10 inches, which puts me in the 99th percentile for women's height. I am just an inch shorter than the female athletes who play in the WNBA. The average male height is five inches taller than the average females. Banning males from participating in women's and girls' sports would be justified on this basis alone. Everyone can use their own eyes to observe how these advantages play out in the real world. The most recent example is the University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a biological male who has broken numerous school and national records, records women will be unlikely to ever match. If more males like Leah are permitted to compete against women, it will become common to see women marginalized in their own sport category. I have school-aged girls in my family. I know they often need support and encouragement to stick to competitive activities. When boys are allowed to compete with girls in their own sport, that is one more reason a girl has to talk herself out of participating. Opponents of this bill use confusing language like transgender girls to refer to boys who are being socially and medically treated to mimic members of the opposite sex. Just like these youth who are being characterized as trans kids, I also suffered gender identity disorder as a teenager. We should have all the sympathy that we can for these children and ensure they have appropriate treatment. But it is unfair to expect girls to cede their hard-won rights to make room for male students suffering from gender identity issues. It's astonishing that women's rights groups are not lined up here in support of HB 1041. In particular, the American Civil Liberties Union is strongly against HB 1041. The ACLU is supposed to protect women's rights, not undermine them. Instead, women and girls must rely on right-wing organizations to come up here and support their interests. It is absurd and unreal that liberal organizations are turning their backs on women's rights. Somebody needs to stand up for women and girls, and I feel compelled to do so since so few members of the transgender, transgender community have come forward to support them. It's ironic that people who identify as women will not risk defending women against attacks on their rights. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no, I'm sorry, Representative Davis. So I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you standing up for female sports and females altogether. Thank you. I would agree. It takes probably a lot of courage to do so. I appreciate your willingness to share. I appreciate it too, Corinna. If you want to hear more from Corinna and from Nina Paley, they have a podcast they host together called Heterodorks. It's spelled H-E-T-E-R-O-D-O-R-X. Heterodorks podcast. Uh, before we take a break, I want to remind you, as you may know, we were banned on Twitter um, because I'm very, very bad and I like harassment. So uh, new Twitter account just for show announcements, show related stuff. If you find it on Twitter, we are at disaffected P, disaffected and the letter P. You're just going to get show stuff, business stuff, no fun. If you want to have fun, come over to Getter. We are at disaffected pod on Getter. And I'll see you after the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at DisaffectedP, that's disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash 
disaffected. Welcome back. I want to remind you to please subscribe on audio as well. If you've subscribed to us on the YouTube channel and have you? Have you hit the subscribe button? If not, please do. But also, subscribe to us with your favorite podcast app. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get audio podcasts. Please subscribe there, too, because the numbers help us in algorithms. But also, we're going to have some audio-only content, some more of it coming out that you won't find on YouTube. So I'd like to see you there, too. Thank you. And... Here's the part of the show where I'm probably going to piss some of you off. Not deliberately, but um, if you get pissed off, that's going to have to be the way it is. I'm going to defend Whoopi Goldberg, who is somebody I am not likely, I'm not inclined to want to defend her very often. I've enjoyed her as an actress. I loved her as a comedian in the 80s. We had her, uh, her comedy albums. Uh, what was that show? Fontaine, Why Am I Straight? Great comedy show. She's a good actress, too. But she is a Hollywood liberal. And she has Hollywood liberal views that are very much like what everyone else in Hollywood uh, does and has. And uh, is, is um, you know, is usually somebody who's on the other side of a cultural issue from, from what my opinion would be. But this past week... <clears throat> The internet went crazy and 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 the the Hollywood set, the talk show set went nuts because Whoopi Goldberg said some unapproved things about the Holocaust. Um this clip from Good Morning America is a nice summary of everything that's happened this week. Take a listen. This morning, more fallout for Whoopi Goldberg. ABC News suspending Goldberg from The View for two weeks after she made controversial comments about Jewish people and the Holocaust on Monday's episode. The Holocaust isn't about race. ABC releasing a statement acknowledging that Whoopi has apologized, but asking her to take time to reflect and learn about the impact of her comments. Goldberg apologizing live on the program Tuesday. Yesterday uh, on our show, I misspoke. I regret my comments, as I said, and I stand corrected. The segment also included an interview with Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt, who later commented on Goldberg's suspension. We shouldn't cancel Whoopi because she made a mistake. I heard Whoopi say that she's committed to doing better. I accept that apology. It comes following a swift backlash after Goldberg made the comments Monday during a debate over a Tennessee school district's recent decision to ban Mouse, a graphic novel on the horrors of the Holocaust. It's not about race. It's not about race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. But it's about white supremacy. But these are two Romans. white groups of people. Goldberg later posting an apology on social media and speaking with Stephen Colbert. When you talk about uh, being a racist, I was saying you can't call this racism. Before apologizing again on Tuesday. This morning, Goldberg's reflection and remorse now facing the consequences for sharing her views. We should mention NBC News reached out to Goldberg but has not heard back. <clears throat> so, Whoopi Goldberg said things she wasn't supposed to say about a group of people she wasn't supposed to say those things about, Jewish people. And she's already apologized twice. And now she's suspended for two weeks to take time to reflect and learn. And none of this is good enough. Let's take a look at just a couple of the, re these are typical reactions. The internet went nuts over her comments. So the first one I want to point to here is from, who is this? <laughs> I have no idea who this account is, but stop anti-Semites. Tweet that says, Newsflash, Whoopi Goldberg, six million of us were gassed, starved, and massacred because we were deemed an inferior race by the Nazis. How dare you minimize our trauma and suffering? How dare you minimize our trauma and suffering? 
That's it right there. How dare you minimize our trauma and suffering? What trauma and suffering? Whoever wrote this for the account Stop Anti-Semites. What us? Were you at Treblinka? Have you ever even been there? No, you weren't in Treblinka, were you? Not your trauma and suffering. And I'm going to have more to say about that. That make you angry? I've got a justification. That'll probably make you even angrier. Then we have um, actor, comedian Michael Rapoport, who inserts himself into nearly everything these days. He's got lots to say about what people think and how they say it. Let's take a listen to him. Whoopi Goldberg, love you, big fan. I know you. Uh, you went on your show, The View, today and said that the Holocaust wasn't about race. Yes, it fucking was all and only about race. It was about kill the Jews, exterminate the Jews. They're not white, they're Jewish. That's like saying slavery wasn't about race. You need to apologize. You need to explain yourself. Not good, not cool. Uh, and especially a day when in Orlando, these fake fucking wannabe budget, good for nothing scumbags are down there uh, playing, playing dress up cosplaying uh, like they're Nazis. Leave the fucking Jews alone. Everybody just leave the fucking Jews alone. Okay. Yes, it is. It's all and only about race. They're not white. They're Jewish. You need to explain yourself. Let me speak to you in a language you understand, Michael. Sit and spin, motherfucker. Okay? You go fuck yourself. Who are you, everybody's father? He's always like this in his videos. He's always talking to people like this because he knows the right thing to say about everything. And he's, he's suspiciously offended on behalf of just about any group that happens to be having a field day in the media that day. I'm sure he really super cares. So yes, the Holocaust. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Sure. The Holocaust was mainly about Jewish people. Um, nobody can deny that. And you know what? Very few people are actually denying that. Very, very few people. There are some. We all know them. We call them Holocaust deniers. But the Holocaust wasn't only about Jewish people. What about the homosexuals? the gypsies, the mentally retarded, the intellectually disabled of some other stripe, the intellectuals themselves who were targeted and rounded up. They exist too. And stating that is not minimizing harms to Jews. It's not. It's called that all the time, but it is not minimizing harm to Jewish people. Two things can be true at once. More than two things can be true at the same time. Yes, it was mainly about Jew hatred, but it was also about the same level of hatred for other groups that the Nazis thought were inferior to them. You know what else I saw a lot of? So stupid. She needs to give back that Jewish name she appropriated. Yes, that's the word they use, appropriated. So now Whoopi Goldberg is stealing names. Is she stealing names from needy Jews who don't have any names? Should she donate the name back so that some poor nameless little child can be named Goldberg? Give me a break. Stop it. Maybe you take back the name that she appropriated. Why don't you just say what you want to say? that you're afraid to say? I'll say it for you. You want to accuse Whoopi Goldberg of Jew face. That's what you want to say. Mm -hmm. So say it. Tell them exactly what you don't like. Be specific. So what about what Whoopi said? A lot of what she said 
is, of course, debatable. I don't 100% agree with every point she made, and I hate that I feel obligated, and I know you do too, we all feel obligated to say that these days. Of course, I don't support everything that bad person says, but bad person said one good thing, and I know they're still a bad person, but I just wanted... Blah, blah, blah. So she says, it's not about race, it's about man's inhumanity to man. She has a point. She has a point. It's not a complete answer, and it may not even be completely right, but she has a point. What do we mean specifically by race? What do we mean? One of you out there watching means something by it. Another of you out there watching or listening means something else by it. Then there are other shades of opinion. There is a blurred line between things that we call race, things that we call religion, and things that we call membership in an ethnic community. That blurred line is extant. It's real. We all see it every day. This is why people are having arguments over whether being Jewish is a racial characteristic or a cultural characteristic or some mix of those two things. What is so horrible about acknowledging this? I think some of it is because we have inflated the concept of racism and you hear the capital R. We've inflated the concept of racism to be the singular kind of evil that plagues our modern time. And because people feel that they need to signal that what happened to the Jews was the worst kind of evil, we are, we are very invested in signaling that we believe that, right? So if we want to signal that, we have to say it's racist because we don't have a bigger sin in American culture than racism. That's all it is. It's a discursive game. That's all it is. It's not actually a discussion. It's a game of signaling. Signaling that you have the right feelings. And yeah, I think some of what she said is informed by a facile and obnoxious lefty American view that's very common, that racism is only or primarily about conflict between white-skinned Europeans and black-skinned Africans. Very American-centric point of view. And I suspect that that infects how Whoopi thinks about this as well. She's absolutely able to be criticized on those grounds. I have some criticism of that. But this can be a conversation rather than a public stoning. I still don't see what she said that justified the level of confected and alleged emotional harm and outrage. I don't buy any of it. None of it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to tell you guys about this. This bloody, I swear, I'm going to try not to play with it anymore, but this earpiece. I know. Kevin's like, it's your ear. Your ear is shaped wrong. I know. It's a factory leftover. They didn't have any left, so they just took it out of the pieces parts bin. All right. And I want to talk about how we humans begin to understand the experiences of other people that we think are different from, from ourselves and what empathy and sympathy really mean. I think it was, it was fifth grade when I was first formally introduced to the concept of the Holocaust. Uh, it was a, in our social studies class. We had, I don't know what you call it, a segment or a unit. We had some bit of time that was devoted to studying the Holocaust. We watched movies. We had assigned readings. Um, I got a lot of books out of the library. And, and in, these were explicit books, too. These were thick books with a lot of photographs and a lot of text, and they showed bodies and bulldozers and crematoria. There was nothing censored in them. They were right in the school library, and they were shocking. But the experience at school I most remember, 
was how my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Inventosh, chose to bring all of us into a little bit of Jewish culture and a little bit of her family history. Mrs. Inventosh, I don't know if she's still alive, but on the very off chance, Joy Inventosh, that you caught this show, you were one of the best teachers I ever had. I've never forgotten you. Thank you. She took us down to the home ec room and made latkes, showed us how to make potato pancakes. And I've made them her way ever since because it's the best way. And she told us stories of how her parents had been killed in the Holocaust, what it was like for them, how they were rounded up and taken out of the home, and how they died. And that was the first time that I had spoken to anyone who had a family who experienced this. Mrs. Inventosh wasn't somebody in a book and she wasn't somebody in a movie. She was my teacher. She was a real life person that I saw every single day. And she made food with us. That is a brilliant, brilliant way to get, well, I was going to say children, but really anybody, to open their mind and open their heart a little bit, make food for them and make food with them. And weave your stories into the cooking. And I remember thinking, how in the world could any society get to this place? How could they treat other people like this? Big mystery. Then in college came along, and I watched the 12-hour-long documentary, Shoah. Probably the most difficult movie I've ever watched. It's, it's, it's numbing. It's horrifying. It's, it is a salutary experience. It is, if you will pardon me, good for a person, but it is very, very difficult. Everybody who walked out of class after that was practically catatonic. Nobody was speaking. But it became clear to me as I got older how societies get to this place how we can dehumanize other people, because I began to connect those concepts to the way I was treated for being a homosexual in the late 80s and, and early 90s. I began to see how the dynamics that could get a society to start seeing the Jewish people as vermin, as unclean, were being applied to any other group of people that the dominant majority didn't like. Black people, immigrants, homosexuals, Whoever doesn't take very much brain power to put those things together. And that, that is what, that's empathy. That is being able to place yourself in someone else's shoes. And it's empathy by analogy, understanding that this is to this as this is to this. We modern people in the West, but certainly in the United States, we act as if we inherit trauma, like it were a family heirloom preserved in amber and handed down absolutely pristine and as trauma fresh today when we take it into our hands from our grandparents as it was 100 years ago or 150 years ago when our grandparents or our great-grandparents were actually experiencing the oppression. We think we are entitled to inherit the trauma and live with it. That's what's bequeathed to us. Everybody does it. Everybody in the U.S. does it. Any group. Blacks do it about Africa and slavery. Jews do it about the Holocaust. Gays do it about the days when people like Alan Turing were chemically castrated or the days when it was illegal to have sex. We all act as though this is our legacy that we are entitled to. And once we take that, that preserved piece of trauma, we have to love it and nurture it and emote about it and act to everybody else as if we are experiencing the same level of distress as the people who bequeath this to us. And the fact is that we're not. We're not. 
No gay person in the 20th century, outside of certain pockets, and sadly, largely within what is called the community these days, because the trans takeover has made homosexuality itself suspect in our community. But outside of this, there is no gay person in the 21st century who has been held down by homophobia the way that gays were 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. It's not true. Not in America. Definitely not in America. No black person in this country, except the very, very elderly today, even experienced Jim Crow. And Jim Crow laws in the Jim Crow era, bad as they were, were better than slavery, weren't they? No young person has experienced that world. Nobody near my age experienced a world where schools were segregated by race in the United States by law. Nobody. Yet we act as though we are. We act as though nothing has gotten any better. It's just as bad as it ever was. Why? Because we get paid for it. We get socially paid to be victims. I have done this too. I've told this story before, I'm gonna tell it again. When the gay marriage decision came out of the Supreme Court in 2015, I threw a little online tantrum on Facebook at a couple of straight guys who were just trying to make a joke and have fun with each other. They were goofing around and talking about, you know, hey, bro, now we can get gay married. We can finally make our love legal, da-da-da-da-da. You know, they're just cutting up, right? Everybody was celebrating this decision, and they were making a little joke. And I decided to get in high dudgeon about it and yell and say, this isn't funny, and this is my victory. It's the victory of homosexuals. And I decided to lecture them about... Uh, the problems I'd seen gay couples experience when they couldn't legally share their assets. And all that is true. It's all true. But it didn't have anything to do with what these guys were doing. What I was trying to do was hold on to my legacy of trauma and act as though I had some sort of special privileges or I should be accorded special privileges because I belonged to a group whose ancestors were treated worse than my age cohort was. <laughs> It's almost, we act as though we have intellectual and moral property rights about these historical tragedies, and only we, members of this group, are allowed to emote about them. But not only are we allowed to emote about them, we feel obligated to emote about them. And to stoke emotions and to stoke degrees of emotionality that we aren't actually experiencing. We're not. Confected not real. Radical feminists do this with their over-identification with women who were oppressed in the past, particularly a, a set of them like to talk about how they are the daughters and granddaughters of the witches they couldn't burn. They identify with these burned witches, right? Which of course is a horrible tragedy, also numerically exaggerated to an extraordinary degree. Mm-hmm. So why, why do we all do this? Why do gays do this? Why do Jews do this? Why do black people do this? Why does, yeah, indigenous people too. Yeah, I'm going to get you all as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you've been through it too. But it ain't 1880 on the prairie. Stop it. We do this, I think, because our lives are empty of meaning in a way they have not been empty of meaning before. I'm obviously not the first or only person to make this observation. Religion has declined. Civic participation has declined. Volunteership in civic organizations has declined. Rotary, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, uh, the Lions Club, uh, Chamber of Commerce, all of that participation is way down. I think we are finding meaning in, and you got to hear the capitals here, being part of an oppressed group has taken over the meaning-making function that we used to get out of being 
an embedded part of our community, our church community, our civic community. And we do this because there's an absence of actually feeling connected to each other in a real way geographically in terms of the town we live in, the county, the city, or in an economy that we all participate in. We feel atomized from each other. And we're rewarded for performing this way. We get sympathy pats. We get people saying, oh my God, it was so horrible. It was so hard. I can't imagine what it must have been like for you, even if it wasn't really like that for me. And some of us, like me, were raised in households where we were taught to see ourselves as victims. As I've told you before, my mother lived as a victim her entire life. She got pregnant at 18 years old with me by a man who told her from the beginning that he didn't want to have children. And when he abandoned her before she had me, it certainly wasn't a surprise. I'm not justifying what he did, but I'm not justifying what she did either. The both of them behaved very irresponsibly. The men she chose after that to bring into her life were abusers. One of them she married, beat me, beat her, tried to kill her one night. She got into the workforce after getting a couple of associate's degrees spent a few years there and then just decided she couldn't work anymore. She was too traumatized. She was emotionally disabled. So we spent most of our time growing up on the welfare system with my mother blaming men, the government, the Republicans, anybody who wasn't her, anybody who had more money than her, anybody who, was, who even smiled more than she did, who had a happy mood, was a target of my mother. She took no responsibility for any of the decisions that she made, and this is the lesson that I was taught growing up. And it is part of why I stagnated emotionally for a very long time, feeling like a victim, a victim of homophobia, a victim of people not understanding me, a victim of being a poor white person uh, who couldn't climb up the class ladder, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, obviously, I eventually accomplished some of those things. But it's what got me voting for Democrats. It's got what it's what got me identifying with liberalism, left liberalism. Everybody's oppressed, except the people who aren't oppressed. So all of this, all this sturm and drang over what Whoopi Goldberg said, looks to me like the same kind of manipulation that an abusive parent or an abusive spouse does. It's not just that you said the wrong things, it's that you felt the wrong things or you failed to emote the right way. How come your first emotional inclination wasn't A? How come it was B? That must say something deep and dark about your character. This is the kind of emotional abuse that you get in a cluster B household like mine. Bad enough that you should speak out a turn, but even worse that you should have been motivated to do so. So what's wrong with Whoopi? Why didn't she feel the way she was supposed to feel? Because if she felt the right way, she wouldn't have been motivated to open her mouth and speak the wrong way, would she? You know what? I want space to talk out loud for everybody. I want space to talk through problems live out loud, even though when you talk live out loud, you run the risk of being wrong or making a mistake. <gasps> Why isn't this possible anymore? Don't you want the ability to think through problems out loud with a community of other people? Don't you want the right to be wrong without being pushed off the edge of the ice flow? That used to be more normal than it was, and it was just a few years ago. That's what they've done to Whoopi Goldberg. What abusive families do, what my mother did to her children, she is being punished for not naturally and intrinsically having the correct emotions about the Holocaust and about Jewish people. And if she can't have the right feelings, 
<laughs> she gets suspended. And I'm going to close up this. I, I could... I could go on for two more hours talking about this. It really exercises me, and I'm not going to do that. But I am going to close it up by recounting a very brief conversation that I had with my therapist several years ago. I I once had well, look, a couple of sharp words with my therapist. Um, Believe it or not, that's really the only time. Um, had it been 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I probably would have been screaming at him. <laughs> but things do change. I, I told him that I thought no one could understand what it was like to come from an abusive household to, to have been an abused child or to have experienced anti-gay bigotry unless they themselves had experienced it. And this, when you think about it, this is kind of a stupid thing to say to a therapist because their whole job, regardless of who they are, they won't have experienced everything their clients have experienced, but their job is to be able to put themselves in their client's shoes to understand their perspective. It's not to coddle and validate them, but they need to actually exercise real genuine empathy, being able to see it from another person's point of view in order to help a client. And as, as he did, because he's a professional and he doesn't have emotionally based trauma like I do, <laughs> he said to me, he gave me a quote, a partial quote from the Roman playwright Terence. Many of you know this. Nothing human is alien to me. And he was right. Nothing human is alien to almost any of us. You don't need to be a gay man to understand what it must have felt like for me in the days when it was illegal to have sex in certain states and it was certainly illegal to make a, a marriage contract and a, you know, that kind of financial contract with another person. I don't have to be black in order to understand how frightening and terrifying it must have been to be a chattel slave. How is it that modern blacks are assumed to be able to understand that when they've never experienced it either? Are we saying that it, it's, it's literally genetic, it's part of their skin color, that knowledge just comes with their skin? Of course not, because they have empathy. Just like the rest of us. I no longer believe that it's impossible for you to understand what Jews are feeling if you're a Gentile. I don't believe that it's impossible for you to understand what blacks are feeling unless you're black. And I don't believe it's impossible to understand what it's like for homosexuals unless you're a homosexual. And I think we need to stop this shit. We needed to stop it years ago, but we definitely need to stop it now. Here's the reality. We humans are like every other animal. We have a nature. We have a limited set of capacities for emotions and fermentation. We are so very alike, we humans, we are so much like every other human that the differences between us are minuscule compared to the similarities. Deprivation, fear, social uncertainty, losing your social rank, being treated as less than. These are universal human experiences. Some people get them more than others, but we all can feel them. And when we can feel them in ourselves, we can feel them in someone else. That's what empathy is really about. So I'm going to close this up. One more reminder, though, about social media. Remember that we're banned on Twitter, but that we have a new... Twitter account, disaffected P, disaffected the letter P, just show announcements. For the fun, come over and I'll cut it up with you on Getter at at disaffected pod. See you after the break. Do you like disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. 
Follow at DisaffectedP, that's Disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at DisaffectedPod. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Welcome back. I would love to encourage you to help support this show. The people who support this show financially are making it possible. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. There's two ways to do it. Go to patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Um, we have monthly Zoom hangouts for our financial supporters where we could talk about whatever you want off camera, off script. Guys, I know I didn't do one in January. I'm sorry. I am going to get one going for February. Watch your mailboxes. Watch your Patreon and subscribe star pages. And if you want in, sign up. You'll be in for the next one. So a little bit of a grab bag to close the show out. I saw an article. I'm just going to give you a couple of pieces from this article from a professor named Mike Martin at Chapman University, a professor in philosophy. It was an article published in, in one of their house magazines in 2010, and it discusses two ways of looking at personality disorders, cluster B personality disorders specifically, the medical model or the moral model. Is something organically wrong with somebody that they can't control or is this a question of volition and morality? So first one up here, interesting quote. He's talking about another uh, article that he is responding to. In personality disorders, moral or medical kinds or both, Peter Zakar and Nancy Nyquist Potter reject any general dichotomy between morality and mental health and specifically between character vices and personality disorders. In doing so, they provide a nuanced and illuminating discussion that connects Aristotelian virtue ethics to a multi-dimensional understanding of personality disorders. I share their conviction that dissolving the morality-health dichotomies is the starting point for any plausible understanding of human beings. But I register some qualms about their discussions of responsibility, he says. And that's the end of that quote. Notice the connection there between character and personality. I've told you before that before we called these conditions personality disorders, they were frequently called character disorders. And I think the move to personality disorders was part of a general move to medicalize this question and to say, well, it's a mental illness. And what do we mean by a mental illness? We mean there is something wrong, whether it's organic brain structures or the wrong chemicals or imbalanced chemicals, what it all boils down to is there's something wrong with the person that the person can't control. Therefore, we can't be too mad at them. I think we've gone way too far in that direction and way too far away from seeing this as a moral issue, at least as much a moral issue as a medical issue. Um, and I'll give you, um, I don't have this for your screen, but I'm just going to give it to you um, from this article as well. Mike Martin says, Curing these disorders requires, requires moral effort and moral transformation, although psychological and pharmaceutical treatments can also be employed. It is essential for clinicians to acknowledge that treating cluster B personality disorders is in part a moral enterprise for which they might not be fully prepared. This all seems to me right and important. I agree with Mike Martin, and I agree that modern therapists are absolutely not prepared to see this as moral because modern therapists are often anti-therapeutic, and they are allergic to the idea of personal responsibility. They consider that an assault, the way the squishiest safe space wokey considers any criticism to be an assault on them. So, I'll pick, uh, we're going to pick that up again. Uh, in the future. But I want to move on to um, and take a point of personal privilege and do some complaining about modern life. I know. I do that a lot. <laughs> there has been a real breakdown 
in our society of civility and basic competence. Competence to do your job, competence to socialize and, and do professional business with other people. And as we individually have become less and less responsible about the way we drive on the roads, about the way we walk down the street, about the way we talk to people, about the way we evaluate political opinions, at the same time, we have become more and more used to the government or celebrities or institutions showing us and telling us what to do. And they do it a lot with nudging. Talked about nudging before, and I don't talk about it a lot because it continues to really piss me off. Everything is a nudge these days. Your bank does it. Your grocery store does it. Your car dealer does it. Cass Sunstein writes fucking books about it. Nudging is really just a euphemism for psyops, psychological operations. It's manipulating people's behavior with either physical or verbal or conceptual prodding, guardrails, and moral implications built into what they say to you. I think it's gross, and yet we treat it more and more as if it were normal and absolutely morally fine. Let me give you an example, just in the business context. My bank, my credit union. And th this ties into, this is the nudge, but it's also lack of competence. So, like, what the hell am I doing? Did you see me? I've, I got my pinky up. Like, da -da -da -da. <laughs> Who is this effete homosexual? Oh, it's me. Um, <laughs> so, my credit union will not allow me to do a couple of things. It will not allow me any longer to go to the online banking section and actually print a monthly statement. It used to, but it won't now. And it also will not allow me to know my own checking account number even when I log in. So, I used to be able to go in, click on print a statement, select the month, I'd get the whole bank statement right there. I go to click that button, it looks almost the same as it used to, but I got halfway through, and before I clicked the final submit, I realized what they were doing. They changed the function of that button. Now it's enable e-statements. What does that mean? It means that if you click on that, you think you're going to you think you're going to get an electronic statement that you will view in a PDF or be able to download. That's not what it means. You're giving them permission to stop sending you paper statements and to only send them to you by email, and we all know how well those show up. Look at that manipulation. They left it in the same place. They made it look almost the same, but you had to read really carefully to understand that you would be telling them, I never want paper statements again. And maybe you don't want paper statements, but I do. I don't like being treated this way. And <laughs> the second part of this is I can't get my checking account number when I log into the bank. Why did I need it? because I needed to actually make a mortgage payment. Uh, it, it's very, very stupid. A lot of mortgage companies will only make a direct debit from your checking account. They will not take your card. So I had to get a, a checking, and I don't know this because I don't carry a checkbook with me anymore. I have one in a drawer for the rare times that I need it. So I had to, I had to call the bank to get my checking account number. Let me tell you the conversation between me and, and, and the teller on the phone. I said, I realize, Brittany, that this is not something you control and that you did not write this policy. So this is not a personal criticism of you. I thank you for helping me. But I would like to let somebody know. I, I wish the bank would consider how inconvenient it is that I jump through the hoops to satisfy your security protocols, but I'm not even allowed to see my own checking account number when I'm inside my account. It's normal and reasonable for a customer to want to be able to view his checking account number. She says to me, it's a security measure. And I said, I realize that's how it is presented. And I realize that's what you are told to tell me, but that doesn't make sense. And I think you can see how it doesn't make sense. I've already passed all of the security protocols. I entered my password. You know, my account's behind a password, right? Yep, you know that. I also did the two-step. I got the little code on my phone and I typed it in there. I have proven 
to my credit union that I am who I am, and now I'm inside my account and I can make any monetary transaction I want, but I can't see my checking account number? And she says, well, if someone ever got your username and password, then they'd get your checking account number. And if they had that, and I said, stop, stop. I'm sorry, but that doesn't make sense either, Brittany. Right now, as I'm speaking to you, live, right now, I am inside my checking account. I can see exactly how much is in there. I could drain it all. I could put it into another account. I could send it to my account at another bank that I have for business. I can do the most extreme things possible because I'm already inside my account. I didn't need my checking account number to move my money around. Do you see what I mean? Um, never mind. Never mind. Sorry, shouldn't even have brought it up. Very taxing to have to think, right? Another nudge that we've gotten real used to. It's behavior modification from the state legislature. There's, <laughs> I know it always, it's, it's going to come back to grocery stores a lot, my friends, <laughs> because so many societal lessons are demonstrated at the grocery store. So one of the things that, that bothers me is and this is particularly the case within the past few years, COVID has accelerated all of this. Um, you get less and less service from actual people when you go into businesses. More and more stuff is now your job as the customer to do. With automation and kiosks, McDonald's employees won't even look at you anymore. If you walk in, they will not greet you. They used to be polite, they will not look at you now. They expect you to go to the kiosk they never stand in front of one of their registers because if they did, that would indicate that you could ask them for help. They don't want to do that. The grocery store, they don't want to bag for you anymore. About a year and a half ago, Vermont passed a ban on plastic bags in grocery stores, but that wasn't enough. They also wanted to make you not get a bag at all. So while they allowed paper bags, they told the grocery stores they have to put a 10 cent charge on them and you have to ask for them. So now what happens when you go to the grocery store is you put all your shit on the conveyor belt, it goes all through, the checker scans everything, dumps it all on that big aluminum counter and just stands there. Just stands there. Remember how they used to bag? No, not now. That's you. And they indicate that to you by simply standing there and not doing anything. If you ask them for a bag, because I, you know, don't always have my reusable bags with me, what do they do? You, you might think they'd start bagging. No. They reach over under their little counter, of course, because it's contraband. They take out the bag and they set it on the counter for you. Look, I'm not allergic to bagging my own groceries. I usually would do so anyway, always have, because it's faster. But God damn it, stop acting, stop taking every excuse you can to do less of your job and to interact with customers less. So I, I went back and I wanted to understand this bag ban and I went back and I saw a story from Vermont's um, weekly alternative newspaper called Seven Days and I wanted to share this with you. So I'll put it up on the screen. Quote, in order to encourage Vermonters to bring reusable bags to the store, the legislation also proposes to require retailers to charge customers at least 10 cents for each paper bag distributed. Bill sponsor Senator Chris Bray said similar policies have been proven to work in other areas that have already implemented such fees. Quote, Fundamental to the design of the bill is having people move to reusable bags without giving people an incentive to stay away from paper, Bray said. The bill wouldn't accomplish that goal as easily. Fuck you, Chris Bray. The goal is to move them to reusable bags. Get out of business. Get out of citizens' lives. This is not the proper purview of the state legislature. Stop trying to control behavior this way down to the micro level. It's nonsense. And don't tell me about the environmental impact of plastic bags. I don't give a shit. I don't believe you anyway. Ooh, we're gonna be in trouble for that now too. Okay, last thing and then I'll let you go for the week. 
This is from the Department of Queefery. And one of you out there knows all about this. I won't name you, Ellen. So, um, <laughs> this pops up on my Twitter feed the other day from a trans woman who calls they self Lucinda Wilcox, they them. And actually, I think Lucinda is mistaken because I think that Lucinda is definitely. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so this is what Lucinda had to say. Was with my trans friend Katrina today as she recovered from bottom surgery and her pussy farted for the very first time and I was there to hear it. It was such a beautiful moment that we both broke down and cried and just held on to each other like two orphan sisters. <laughs> I just grossed myself out. <laughs> See you next week. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at Disaffected P. That's Disaffected and the letter P for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected.